Hello, my name is David Turner and this is another Lunar Poetry Short. Today I'm in Peckham in South East London with uh, Joe Helga. Hello Joe, how are you doing? I'm good. Um, yeah, we're going to start with a reading. Um, so this one is a really, really new one that I've written um, about the Anna Mendieta. Um, oh, it's about Anna Mendieta and it came out of the protest that the Where is Anna Mendieta um, collective have been doing. Um, and it's part of this series that I do called Alternate Universes, where basically me and some female artists like save the world, and it's beautiful. And this one's called Anna. 150 of us stand outside the Tate and let Carl Andre know, in case he had forgotten, that he killed Anna Mendieta. Carl Andre comes outside and says, shit, that had totally slipped my mind. Thank you for reminding me. And he instantly dies of a guilt-induced heart attack. He has a small nosebleed and then disappears completely from every collection, gallery and memory. The blood pools and forms the shape of a small woman's body. From the puddle, Anna Mendieta gets up. She says, Your shouting and crying over 20 years has brought me back to life, and I'll live long enough now to make more art and then more art until the art I make is not a big deal, because what I was fighting for has long since been accomplished, and I live and live and fuck up and embarrass you with my conservativeness the way all parents should be allowed to live long enough to do. We meet up with Anna for drinks every few weeks and get kicked out of Weatherspoons after Weatherspoons for laughing too loudly, which makes us laugh more. And this one's called Chicken. I'm speaking in front of a hundred children who don't know that last night a man paid me £150 to lick my feet. I'm talking to them about being a queer artist and telling them that they can do it, they can do everything, they can survive everything, but I'm surviving by having a middle-aged man pay to lick my feet which I prepare for him like chicken. I dim the lights to hide the plastic of my wig. I hide my hairy legs in stockings. I put my feet into plastic bags filled with cottage cheese to make them smell. You can laugh all you want, there's an art to whoring. We take on apprentices. We glue each other's eyelashes on. We put each other's feet into plastic bags to marinade. My mum taught me how to marinate chicken. Put the chicken in the bag with herbs and oil, then rub the bag with both your hands, tenderize the flesh, Stick the thigh with a knife to see if it's done. I make a mean chicken, but there are gaps in my education. I have a master's degree in art, which I use for perfect eyeliner. I have become very tender, but like chicken, not like love. I love less because sharing is expensive. So the kids ask me how much money I earn being a performance artist. So I teach them how to make chicken and how to glue on eyelashes, because at least those are transferable skills. Thank you, John. Yeah, I've made some notes and completely forgot to say in the introduction that you are a writer and performer and activist, um, which I suppose by listening to those poems you might have already come across. But um, uh, yeah, I was going to ask you to say a bit more about your work in general, but maybe because you started with the Animan Yeta poem, maybe we could just, would you like to just elaborate a bit more on, on that and how that came about? So we've been doing, last week, I think it was last week, um, we did two protests. Um, at the Tate Modern because they've included Carl Andre's work in their new building and their slogan I think is art change we change yes. art changes we change yeah. which obviously isn't true because they keep prioritising the voices of violent white dudes over marginalised voices and that's basically what we're protesting and I think some people think that it's like oh but shouldn't his art be you know shown it's not the same as the man and all this stuff and it's kind of it's not really about his work which is really boring have you seen it 
and, and yeah, it's really boring. Bricks on the f- yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's bricks it's, on the floor. Yeah. Which that's you know that's not the point, but it's kind of um, yeah, choosing to highlight his work over the much more interesting work of Anna Mendieta, who he murdered. Um, so we did two actions last week. The first was a more traditional sort of protest, where we went outside and shouted and had banners and, yeah. you know, where is Anna Mendieta? Yeah. And um, on Friday we did um, a more sort of performative action, where um, so we had a flyer, we had three things happening at once. We had a flyer distribution, and then we had uh, someone holding up a where is Anna Mendieta banner, and then uh, me and some other people put um, a banner over his artwork the bricks on the floor saying Carl Andre killed Anna Mendieta and stood around it with uh, paint on her hands which is referenced um, to one of her works um, and it's been it's been really good um, it's got quite a lot of attention and I've just met really cool people through it as well so personally I'm quite happy about yeah. being involved in it I mean it's because it's quite um, it's quite difficult and stressful when you're involved with protesting in that way because there's such a fine line between being allowed to protest and actually get arrested and stuff so I'm sure it's quite a stressful event even if it's positive but did you get much of a chance to gauge uh, people's reaction to it? It was quite um, divided so some people who were kind you know the sort of so the um, the one on Friday was part of the um, Later Tate event and the sort of people who go to Later Tate are there's like some cool young artsy people and then some of the people are sort of, sort of Carl Andre people, hmm. <laughs> um, and some of them came over and said something to me like, like prove it or something, and I'm like, did they? Yeah, and they were like prove it. I was like, that's not the point, mate. Um, and some some people were kind of saw us as entertainment. I think I think, and that felt quite weird that they were not. Some people th- thought it was just performance art, which is fine. Yeah because it's within the institution and that's what happens. Um, and then some people were um, quite like, oh, look at these girls, yeah, yeah. look at them, I'll, I must tell Hugo. Um, and that was a bit annoying, but actually a lot of people said, I know, I know about this, or on the other hand, like I knew nothing about this, thank you for telling me. And we had some really great people who were, who were not involved in the protest itself, but who were in the space, who knew about it and then went around talking to people. Yes, yeah. Um, and I could just hear when I was standing there, I could just hear that. And it made me feel so happy that it's not just us who care about this. It's kind of, someone just took it upon themselves to do that. And that was really mm. great. And yeah, if anyone's listening want to follow any more, it's this Twitter account, isn't there? It's Anna Mendieta UK. Yeah, I'll put a link to that. Oh, and one other thing I, could, I forgot to mention as well, if you can hear some bubbling, there's a fish tank in the corner. <laughs> That's all that is. And there will be some trains passing over here. Um, yeah, so I've only seen you read once, and that was just last week at the South London Gallery, mm. at, um, retrospective of Astra Blau and her life and work, where you wrote in response. Um, mm. I was just wondering, is, is there a divide in your writing between personal and activism, or does it all blend into one? I think it's pretty much the same thing for me. And I feel a bit funny about you calling me an activist because I think I haven't done a lot of activism and also haven't done a lot of writing. I will and say you said activist first. <laughs> I said occasional <laughs> activist. Sorry. Um, and it, I, I think it's something that I didn't do for a long time um, for loads of different reasons and then I've come back to, which feels really good. I think my 
quite early on, my poems were very personal and a lot about, you know, like teenage poems, like a lot about relationships and stuff. And then I realised that that was political, I think. And then I think when I got a bit older and I discovered a lot of 70s before, like feminist performance art and stuff, and they were like, that's not political. Like, oh yeah, that's the thing that I've been doing this whole time, <laughs> which felt pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I, I find it hard to see like a because it's obviously it's through it's very much through my lens. And I think for a while I was worried about being coming across as really subjective. Yeah. And I think especially when you're read as a woman, that's something that's always kind of in the air. Yes. Like, are you being hysterical? Are you taking this too personally? And. I, I guess I worry about that. I did. I did worry about that, but now I'm just like, no, I'm just gonna like do some poems about someone who sexually assaulted me. Actually, I, I should have s- said political rather than activism. You know, it mm. probably suits, suits much better, doesn't it? We actually had this discussion with um, Travis Alabanza and Essay Smart when they came on together. Mm. We were desperately searching for another word other than activism because it, it didn't quite fit properly with what they both write individually. Mm. Um, but. I think certainly from what I've seen from your work, mm. the personalised political is probably much better. Yeah. Uh, of course, like the description isn't it? Do you tend to read at like mainly sort of queer themed events in terms of, I'm just thinking about the audience and how much you have to think about being read as a female. But oh, I that's a really as, interesting question. As non-binary. That's a really good question. I think when I do my performance art stuff, that's usually in queer spaces and also a lot of the stuff that I do um I have a poem about gender but a lot of them but I think my performance kind of incorporates that to a larger extent and I kind of don't worry that much about how I'm read because my performance speaks to it yeah um and so do my poems like I have a at the South London Gallery I have one where I just go I'm not a woman yes yeah (laughs) <laughs> Which I was like, oh, I'll do that first, then you know, handy. It's a pretty good opener, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also, um, Rudy Lowe, who um, shares the studio space with me, have these t-shirts that have the... Have you seen those t-shirts that have yeah, the... Yeah, you were wearing one the other night, weren't you? I love Rudy's t-shirts. Yeah. yeah. They're great. So I have one that says non-binary femme, yeah. and then a heart in the middle. And sometimes when I go to straight spaces, I wear that. Yeah. <laughs> just to be like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> I'm queer. Mm. Look at me. But yeah, my poetry, I think I read it a lot in sort of more, I did English literature as my BA and I read a lot of stuff in quite straight male dominated spaces. So I did a lot of poems about being in male dominated spaces and I have a lot of poems about something I call the English boy, um, which also uh, another word for it I heard was theory bro. These kind of boys were like, well, I've read Nietzsche. Um, that makes me really clever now, and nothing you say has any value um, because I'm so clever and I can quote all these theorists. Um, and literature bros are kind of the same, yeah. but, but I don't know, Elliot or whatever. Actually, one of the reasons the podcast started was to um, counter the theory or literature bros because I was so fed up of being at poetry events and people, and this isn't exclusive to poetry, it's ex- it, mm. it exists in all, all the arts, unfortunately. Mm. And um, it's the over, acad- <laughs> making everything overly academic, <laughs> yeah, that way. Um, because all it does is, it, anyone that hasn't read those books or 
done yeah. that course is immediately excluded and it is nothing to do with intelligence or mm. comprehension. It's it's just a way of saying I I I've been in this club, you weren't in this club, you can't talk to me. Yeah. You can't yeah. And I think that's why I stopped writing for for quite a long time because I had this idea that because I my writing is very personal, a lot of the stuff I wrote was very personal, but then had a lot of literary references, which is kind of natural when you're doing an English degree, but also I think was something I was doing in order to justify my own kind of existence in a way, being like, oh, it's fine that I write about my cunt because I also quoted James Joyce, so it's fine now. Um, and I quite, those poems, are like, I quite like them, they're nice poems, but I feel like it's problematic that I was kind of giving in to this um, I, I, expectation that you have to like do something really clever with poetry. I, I, it's something that comes up a lot with guests actually, is mm. that when, um, especially if people come from uh, sort of non-arts backgrounds or working class backgrounds, there seems to be in a lot of their earlier work an attempt to excuse mm. the normal language I see about it's sort of what I'm trying to say like you know if, if you're using um, conversational language or whatever that means uh, mm. language you use in it every day it's in there seems to have to be there has to be something that's obviously clever or yeah. obviously studied in order to get away with that and it takes yeah. maybe takes people a while doesn't it to get out of that habit and basically I had a wonderful English teacher and she taught me about poetry you know when we're just having like a this is what poetry is. This yeah. is definition of poetry. And then we got like a sort of checklist of things that could make something a poem. And I remember what any of them were. But the one, there was one that was like check, careful choice of words. And before that I was like, oh, I can't write poems because I don't like poems that rhyme. I hate poems that rhyme. Um, actually lives occasionally rhyme and I do like those. But I don't like rhyme. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I can't do this because it's for clever people who like rhymes. And then she was like, no, it's, it's careful choice of words. And I was like, I can do that. Mm. I can do that. And then I did. Um, maybe now would be a good time for another reading. And then we can talk a bit more about poetry specifically. Right, I'm going to do my gender one first. And then my angry one. Someone asked me not to explain my gender to their child because they're too young for it to occur to them that gender can be different than boy slash girl. And I remember standing up peeing in kindergarten and being told not to stand and pee and making up new names for myself in crayon. My dad thinks queerness and non-binary gender is a modern thing that I do because I live in the big city now. But it's not a new thing, and it's not a city thing. At 14, I read about George Sand, Free the Carlo, the story of the Norse god Thor dressing up as his own wife to get his hammer back, and the images of him with his beard braided with flowers in it. I saw a thin, short man with breasts on the bus once, and I stared the way children on the train sometimes stare at me. I watched Tip in the Velvet and started stuffing my trousers with hankies, but I did no tipping of any velvet. My teacher told me I would fail at life drawing if I drew the breasts and velvet with too much attention to detail, but no one else got this warning, not even the boys. And I thought, even though I'm alone in this right now, I am descended from people like me, even the fictional ones. Pope Joan is my great 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 something. I'm a direct descendant of Herculine, Josephine, Hundred Robins and Mollies and all those women, you know, in sailor suits that you see in black and white photographs. We went on vacation to Malaga and we met an old lesbian couple and they were aunties and we said, hi, we see you, thanks. And they said, hi, young ones. And to the kid on the train platform, and especially your kid, I say, 
your dad is a fucking dick and if you want a piece standing up you should totally do that this one's called killjoy sam says look at her ass look at her huge fat ass was it fat in a good way sam no it was the biggest ass i've ever seen sit down sam sit your skinny ass all the way down so I say something really carefully. I bring up his entitlement, but I don't blame him. I don't explain to him the intersection of gender and race. I don't say men like you. I don't say yes all men. I don't say men at all. And I don't say how men like you have been saying this stuff to me and near me since I was 11 and I'm so tired. And I don't say you remind me that no one is safe. Because when I fall asleep next to my male friends, I tend to wake up to their breath in my ear, their hands on my labia, their weight on me, my face in their mouldy pillows, their narrow dicks in me. He has the face of one of these men, which is not his fault, but I sense a kinship, a fraternal bond, and I don't tell him any of this because that would kill the joy. That's one of my tasks as someone who inhabits this body. Keep the mood nice, keep the conversation flowing, the drinks coming on a little tray, make sure no one is unhappy except me and people like me. Make sympathetic eye contact with people like us, talk to them afterwards to make sure we are okay. Roll our eyes gently, come on let's all do it together, roll our eyes really gently, because no one wants to make anyone feel bad. When I told John what Pierce had done, John said, oh but he's a really nice guy and you did sleep in his bed. When I told John what Joel had done, he said, oh, but that's going to be really awkward because he's going to live with us for a while. So I didn't tell him what Charlie did in case he was invited to live with us too and in case it caused more awkwardness. I'm so sorry you feel awkward. I'm so sorry you feel awkward. I'm so sorry that you feel awkward and I told the entire internet what you did. And if me telling the truth about something you did makes you look bad, maybe the problem isn't me. I know I'm the one who makes things awkward when I say no one cares what you think about that person's ass, Sam, no one asked you. And it takes practice to be a killjoy and it's lonely as fuck. And I walk home alone that night, which is meant to be really dangerous, but we all know that it's the devil you know. It's Joel and Piers and Charlie. They're not anonymous. I'm friends with them on Facebook still and so are all of my male friends. It takes practice to say, sorry, I shat all over your sausage fest. I'm practicing being a party pooper and I'm getting better at it because if this is your joy, then I'm happy I killed it. Thank you very much. Are you welcome? <laughs> um, so much different listening to poems one-on-one like this. It's much more affecting than when you just saw you do that overnight. And, uh, mm. I think as a defence mechanism, the audience sort of is bound to try and find the humour that you put in it mm. and lock onto that. But one one on one, it's impossible. <laughs> That's interesting because I'm like, I, I was like, oh, this is weird because I'm used to people laughing. Yeah. And maybe this is maybe I shouldn't say this. I'll say it anyway. Um, when I was in therapy the other day, my therapist was like, uh, "Do you notice that when you talk about this thing, I was talking about this sexual assault thing." And she was like, do you notice that every time we talk about it, you giggle? And she's like, it's fine, but just notice that you're doing this as a defence mechanism, and that's a thing that you do, and I just want you to be aware. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting, because other people do that as well. And I think... Oh, I kind it's of, definitely something I, I do. Yeah, 
Um, and my whole family do. We yeah. laugh when we're uncomfortable, yeah. which makes arguments very difficult <laughs> because there's nothing more infuriating than if you're shouting at someone and then they just go, <laughs> you're like, I'm gonna fucking end you. <laughs> there's so many arguments about that. But um, yeah, and I think on some level, yeah, I think on some level I put little quips and stuff into my poems, partly because I'm like, oh, that would be funny that I want to make myself laugh. And I really hate when things are too serious. That's why sometimes when people are like, oh, are you a performance artist? Do you kind of do like these really kind of slow motion, very like po-faced sort of serious things? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I wear really funny costumes. <laughs> and then sometimes like, you know, one last thing I did, I like give birth to some um, beetroot and then ate it and then threw it at people <laughs> and then just smeared cake all over myself. And it was a bit silly. And I think it's good to have silliness. I don't think it's kind of apolitical to be silly or to laugh or like, but yeah, I see yeah. what you mean about people. Um, uh, the last person I interviewed was um, poet Sophie Cameron and she has a, she runs a night where it's, uh, we talk about things that people wouldn't normally talk about, would feel uncomfortable with. There's mm. a lot of people discuss sex really frankly and sex mm. work and stuff. And But we spoke about how the best way probably to talk about that in front of people is give them something to unify with and mm. to shock all of them but don't pick people out individually mm. unless that's the point and you're trying to mm. call, call someone out or check someone out or something mm. if you're just trying to get an, a topic out in the open probably the best way is to unify the audience mm. and allow them a release and if that release is a giggle you shouldn't be mm. as a performer you shouldn't be scared of it should you um, mm. I mean I, I, can, I can remember doing things where people giggled and I just thought fuck that wasn't I hadn't written that mm. as funny and it put me off a lot at the start but then you realize it's just a way that it's it, it's a way that people can still engage with your work yeah and not zone out isn't it you know? but i think also sometimes it can be difficult because you feel i i, find, I really want to make people laugh mm. and i think sometimes i'm like oh i can't write that because yeah. then no one will laugh <laughs> so yeah maybe i think it's useful but i think also it's good to know kind of um, am I doing this because I'm uncomfortable? Because it's fine if the audience do something because they're uncomfortable, yeah. because I would be uncomfortable listening to some of the stuff that people say, like, it's hard. But I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to feel like I'm kind of squirming when I'm, do yeah. you know what I mean? I don't want to avoid what I'm actually saying. I think it's also a very important message to, to put across as well, is if you are talking about something that's, that people assume would just be horrendously traumatic, it's important to mm. show that it is possible to laugh yeah isn't it and that you you're using these experiences now or the, sorry, the retelling of these experiences mm. as a positive thing for you mm. um it's supposed it's just awkward for people to put themselves in that position isn't it to yeah see how you could one go through a thing come out the other side and laugh in front of a room full of strangers yeah it. i think i think that's how i deal with things yeah. is that i talk about them in front of increasing amounts of people <laughs> at some point i'll just be doing like public therapy at wembley yeah, yeah. just been with a megaphone just like oh, i feel sad guys um actually that would be great performance art you should totally do that <laughs> so, so the extension of that what what is it about poetry that allows you to talk about these things what what attracts you to writing in that form i think partly the reason i started writing poetry is because it, you can create a lot of emotion in a very short amount of time and also because I'm I have a really short attention span 
And I tried, when I was a teenager, I tried writing all these novels and it went terribly wrong. And I think, that poetry is short, <laughs> so I can cope with that. Um, it sounds like such a kind of um, flippant answer, but I genuinely think that the, the, like the, you know, most poems are quite short. I don't think I've ever finished any like, you know, when, like, when you have an epic poem and you open a poetry book and it's like 15 pages long, I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't. Because mm. it it's quite intense. Yeah, it's, it takes an enormous amount of... You give so much to it, don't you, as you're reading it? If yeah. it's good. Yeah, yeah, if it's good. And I think there are a couple of longer poems that I like, but usually I, if they go, you know, if you open a book and they go over like three pages, I'm like, I can't mm. maintain that level of concentration. And I feel much more so than when it's just a narrative. And I think it's the thing that I said earlier about the, the careful choice of words. Yeah. It's that thing where you... But some, because I'm um, dyslexic and dyspraxic, sometimes I skip bits and poems and then I make my own, which is quite nice. But, um, yeah, but the, so I, I guess I have to concentrate a bit extra. But, yeah, the, it, it takes so much focus. And I think that's what I like about doing it as well, is that it's very, like, condensed, like a little shot. Yeah. Do you feel that being, sort of forcing yourself to be so careful about selection of words and going through that process of making a poem rather than flash fiction or short story or whatever mm. the, the, the next slightly longer version or alternative might be mm. do you think that helps to um, cap your emotions enough to to really face things head on as well yeah I definitely think so and I think the reason why I like because I used to do theatre and I used to try to write novels and then I was like do you know what I'm not really interested in plot I don't really care about what happens and in what order things happen. I care about like the snapshot. Yeah. I care about like what was that exact, you know, and you know sometimes when you read a novel and there's like a paragraph and it just perfectly describes everything. And then I'm like, just do that, just do that. <laughs> you don't need all of this fucking journey shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm coming across as such like a- Finally you got to the point. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. If my dad listens to this, he'll be like, but no, I think, yeah, I like it when it's, it's, when it's like that moment, that's when it happened. That's the thing that mattered. Yeah. Not so much oin, son of loin, and then 18 pages of, as much as I loved Lord of the Rings when I was 11. Do you know what I mean? I don't need, I don't need that to feel something. Yeah. I just want the pure. And how do the, how does this form of writing feed into your performance? I haven't seen you perform in a, a performance art kind of mm. way, but I have seen some stuff on YouTube and some links, and it's very different to... I mean, you clearly it's the same personality and mm. the same themes and stuff, but it's a very... It seems as though, and I might be wrong, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, mm. but it seems like a, a, a different writing process. So how do the two fit into... I don't know what you've seen of my work, but yeah. a lot of the work I do, I write... I saw some stuff at Ducky... Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay. A lot of the stuff that I write when I do performance stuff is, for some reason, I feel like, feel like it's more allowed to steal when I do performance. Sometimes it's like literal quotes off the internet. Yeah. I have a performance that's almost just YouTube comments about that. I've just copied and pasted and put it into Google Translate, and then Google Translate reads them out. But I think when I write for performance, and this is why I got back into writing poetry because I wrote poetry for a long time, and I did this little collection that I self-published. And then I didn't write for like two years, but I made performance. And then I was like, the thing that performance allows me to do 
is to not have this kind of little inner English boy kind of on my shoulder telling me that it should be more clever. Yeah. Um, so I can write more and I do, for performance I do a lot of free writing where I just kind of go for it and that felt really good. And then I was kind of allowed myself to do that more with my poetry where I'm just like, this thing happened to me, I'm gonna write about it. So my sexual assault poem is, I wrote when I was at the hairdresser on my phone because I just had yeah. that idea and that happened. And not to be all like, oh, and then the magic of inspiration happened. Because obviously it's labour. But, yeah, I think I allowed myself to be a bit less clever. <laughs> and that felt really good. Yeah. And also a bit more direct about what I was saying. I think before I was kind of like, you'd have to read my poem four times to understand that it's actually making quite a strong political statement. But it's quite, like, veiled. Whereas now I'm just like, fuck you, Carl Andre. <laughs> Yeah, talking about your performance stuff, what have you got coming up in the future? I am performing at Steakhouse Live, which is at the Live Art Development Agency in East London on the 6th of July. And I'm doing a new thing that's about... Um, what is it about? It's about femininity and this idea that if you're a man and you become feminised, that's the most humiliating thing that could ever happen. And it's about, like the kink practice of doing that, yeah. like, like feminization. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's basically about sex work and femininity and I have a really good outfit for it. So you should definitely come. That sounds good, yeah. I don't have any outfits on for me really. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have pink knee pads. Want... Oh, it sounds brilliant, yeah. yeah I don't, I'm great. not really into the political messages, but if there's pink knee pads yeah. there. Yeah, so a bit conscious of time, so I think we better wrap it up. But before we go, we should mention your uh, where people can find you on the internet um, points of access um, so I have a twitter which is at Johanna Hauger um, and I have a website which is www.myfullname.com and I will put as always clickable links below in whatever format you're listening to this on um, thanks very much Jo cheers um, yes Definitely check out Joe's work and catch them if you can somewhere. Check out the dates. Don't come asking me. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> bye bye.